I don't know that any of us have the power to control what the media highlights for us and puts in front of us. I just know that if we at least understand why we might not visualize ourselves lifting barbells and how it might have to do with the images and the stories and the ideas that we've been fed by the media, we might be better critical thinkers when we are presented with the opportunity to do something like lift weights for strength training and go, you know what, maybe I, maybe I am the type of person that could do something like that. Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach Laurel Beversdorf and physical therapist, Dr. Sarah Court. With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast. I'm Laurel Beversdorf, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Sarah Court, DPT. Hello. We are still in Los Angeles. Sarah's always in Los Angeles. Pretty much. I'm still batch recording episodes with Sarah in Los Angeles. And we are today talking about the fact that lifting heavy barbells is not automatically a strength sport. Mm. Because I think these two ideas get conflated to where when we see a barbell, we immediately think that we need to be in some competition with someone um, mm. very large and male and or we just have images of large male men. And I would like to, large male men. <laughs> large men, now I'm just thinking of like gigantic postal workers. Yeah, I think that I would like for everyone to work on decoupling these two ideas so that barbells are something you, if you are an older woman, maybe, or a woman at all envision using as well. But first, we're reading reviews and the title of this one is probably my favorite and it is uh, which if you don't know what that is it's a very specific reference because this person is leaving a review off of an episode where i referenced a youtube show called uh which has two drag queens famous drag queens trixie mattel and katya uh total aside i love that show and people should watch it i've tried to get laurel to watch it and she's like I but liked it. I liked it. It, it is a... I don't know a, that I would watch it, like binge watch it. It's a. It's an acquired taste. Yeah. No, it's funny. But they are very funny. And the name of this person is And167. Oh. Which I also like. And167. And167. I'm wondering about the significance of the 167. Well, maybe they'll let us know. Hmm. Let us know, 167. What is the significance of 167? If you wish. So here's what 167 writes. Leaving a review because I love Trixie and Katya too. Leaving a five-star review because I appreciate all the informative and thought-provoking content you share on the pod. Thanks for helping me learn and question things as I go. You are welcome, 167. It is our absolute pleasure. Okay, so today we're talking about the fact that lifting heavy barbells is not automatically a strength sport. We're going to talk about just a couple of strength sports briefly. Uh, I'm talking about strength sports, not because I think there's anything wrong about strength sports. In fact, I like sports, but I think that what happens is when we conflate something like lifting a barbell for the purpose of health and longevity with strength sports, the way that strength sports often are represented in the media make it so that when we see the strength sport happening, we don't 
if we're a woman or if we are someone who's a little bit smaller or if we're somebody who is an older woman or just older, we maybe don't then visualize ourselves lifting that barbell and we don't even think that it's for us because it's for competitive athletes. And this can create some negative associations around something like lifting barbells. We're gonna be talking a little bit about two types of competitive lifting sports, powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting. Now, Olympic weightlifting, confusingly enough, there's, there's a lot of confusing things about these two sports, but Olympic weightlifting is sometimes just called weightlifting, which I think is so, I mean, that's the most generic word you could have chosen to mean this particular exceptionally specific way of lifting a barbell, which is very, very particular. These sports have a, have a long and rich history. So I'm just gonna tell you what I understand about what they are, the differences between them, and then how being a competitive lifter of barbells whether it's Olympic lifting or powerlifting, requires a different, like entirely different set of goals. Well, not entirely different, but very different goals than if you were to lift barbells for health and longevity purposes. And it, this might seem obvious, but I think it, it bears articulating simply because sometimes I think what happens is we can just develop ideas that are based around loose associations, that are based around images that were fed that we haven't really processed, mm -hmm. and develop opinions about things like lifting barbells that are really ones that have been given to us through the representation of, say, a barbell, rather than ones that we've really sat and thought about. So we're going to sit and think about it today. That's, I like sitting and thinking. It's my favorite thing to do while I'm sitting. Yeah, I mean, it's the best thing to do while sitting. It's even better while walking. Yes. It's hard to podcast while you're walking, though. So first of all, we're going to talk really briefly about the difference between powerlifting and weightlifting slash Olympic lifting. And we're going to let Sarah tell us some of the differences. Well, one of the things that's really confusing is that powerlifting is not actually using what is called power as what, the definition of what is known as power. One of the things that's that's really confusing about it is that the capacity that we're training with powerlifting is not actually power because power is velocity dependent, right? And it involves moving something at speed, whereas powerlifting is just looking for what is the absolute heaviest thing that I could lift, not that I could lift quickly, right? So. Powerlifting gen generally, or like in the sort of strictest sense of it, is three lifts. It's the deadlift, the squat, and the bench press. And this is part, I mean, my, I've shifted what I'm doing slightly, but basically the program I started with when I started my lifting was a powerlifting program. And those were the only lifts that I was doing. So that is the definition of powerlifting. But you, what you have to remember is it's not training power. And incredibly annoyingly, and ironically or, or weirdly, Olympic weightlifting is actually training power because it's about doing lifts with speed, whatever the maximum amount that you can lift quickly to that position. So do you want to talk about what those, because those are, are there only two of those super technically? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you this. So the exercises you're performing or, or competing with in powerlifting and powerlifting has a, a cool history and you can read about it on the internet. I mean, Wikipedia is a great resource really. But it, it really kind of all eventually boiled down to three lifts. The squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. And those are the three lifts that you are competing with in powerlifting. It doesn't necessarily mean that people who are competitive powerlifters are only training those lifts. They're probably doing other lifts as well. And it also doesn't necessarily mean that powerlifters 
like Sarah said, it's, it's about max effort, a single max effort in the heaviest possible way you can lift. It doesn't mean that they're always training one repetition maximum lifts in their training sessions, but in powerlifting competitions, the lifters are going to do three attempts at each of these three lifts. And then their heaviest lift of all three lifts gets added together for one score. And whoever gets the highest score in the gender, weight class, and age group that they happen to be in, they win. Pretty straightforward, actually. Yeah. So Olympic weightlifting is just two lifts. It's the clean and jerk. And so the clean is when you take a barbell from the floor. There's different ways to clean the barbell. Basically, you're going to take the bar from the floor to shoulder level or the rack position. That's the clean part. Yeah. Yep. And then you're going to drive it up overhead in a what's called a jerk. Okay, so you're using velocity to help because it, you can move the weight from the floor to your shoulders only if you use some amount of speed because you have to actually drop your body quickly under the bar to get it there and kind of the same idea goes with the jerk and you can easily you know i'll link some images of power lifters and olympic weightlifters in the show notes if you just want a quick visual of what these moves are then there's also the snatch the snatch is when you rip a barbell from the ground all the way up overhead in one movement so that can't really be done slowly right it's not like lifting your carry-on into the overhead compartment (laughs) it actually has to be a fast movement although i would love to see someone snatch their bag into the overhead compartment that would be deeply entertaining and maybe there's some way that, that now could I'm be like, a real i know i'm now i'm like because everything everything and when you start making content you're like everything every thought you have is like how do i put this on instagram right so i'm like how do i who's gonna film that for us i don't know we'll have to workshop work on that. that one yeah so i think these these uh sports are super cool and i definitely don't want to knock them i think that competitive athletes, especially, you know, elite competitive athletes are working really, really hard in a very specific way to get really, really good at one thing. And I think that's admirable. What I think is problematic is that the media tends to latch on to representing a very small subset of all of the people that are doing these competitive strength sports. So it's actually a pretty, they're very inclusive sports in terms of like what in terms of the fact that both men and women compete in both of these sports, in terms of the fact that there's a variety of age groups that are competing, and also in terms of there are a variety of weight classes that are competing, but what the media sometimes tends to latch onto are the biggest men lifting because they tend to be lifting the most total weight and sensationalism cells. Makes good TV. It makes for good TV. And then what happens is that the media represents big males lifting heavy weights and people seeing barbells in action think that it's only for very large young men. In other words, the story that the media is telling is that women, older women especially, are barbell outsiders. Mm. And young, large men are the barbell insiders. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, within the Venn diagram of lifting barbells, strength sports like powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting are a tiny little circle within this larger circle. So all roads to the relevance of lifting barbells definitely do not begin, nor do they end, with competitive barbell sports. 
There's another competitive sport involving lifting weights. It could be lifting barbells or commonly dumbbells, maybe even kettlebells, definitely machines at the gym. You talked about this topic in the very popular episode (laughs) in season two, Uh Pink Dumbbells and the Shrinking Female Body, where you focused a lot on bodybuilding, Sarah. Yeah. And so you talked specifically about how bodybuilding, the sport of bodybuilding, has evolved and the role that women have played in it, as well as this phenomenon with female bodies being represented as becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, more childlike, even more boy-like. And you, you refer to that as the shrinking female body and then also where pink dumbbells kind of come into play. And there was you're an art history major. So you often take this kind of historical perspective on things and kind of give us like a a history lesson, which I just love. And so you kind of did that in this episode. So what were the overall takeaways of this episode? Uh, Well, I mean, by and large, a lot of the same things that you're saying where these spaces where weightlifting can take place have been largely taken over by younger male people. All right. Is that male men? No. But, but, <laughs> and that it's a, that it's a space that has a, a particular aesthetic of massive, bulky muscles ascribed to it as sort of the only possible outcome. So a lot of women in particular, not exclusively, but a lot of women in particular, uh, have looked at that space and have decided it's not for them because it's a, A, it's for men, and B, it's for people who are trying to either competitively bodybuild or Olympic weightlift or powerlift. Either way, it's for people who have a different goal than they have. Which is a competitive one. A competitive one, a one of like, let's max everything out. Let's see how far we can take. Yeah. Like, I guess it's competition. I would say, let's take this to a an extreme level because that's really what you kind of have to do if you're an elite athlete yep. or a competitive athlete yep. really of any kind is like yep. you have to kind of go all in. And most people who are trying to improve their health and longevity, not only do they not want to go all in on that activity because they have other things that they'd rather maybe go all in on in their life, like other interests, but sure. also you don't have to. Like you literally don't have to train like an elite athlete to see enormous benefits to your health. This is another reason why I want to create separation in people's minds between barbells utilized in strength sports versus barbells used as tools for increasing health and longevity. Yeah, I mean, I think the other part of it is you want to go somewhere where you feel like you're surrounded by people that look like you or are in the same sort of skill set as you, right? So I think that's why for a lot of women, stepping into a gym space that has, you know, equipment that it, that they're not familiar with, people in there that don't look like them, people with goals that don't seem aligned with their goals, is can be extremely off-putting, possibly permanently off-putting. And we've missed, like one of the things I was talking about in the Pink Dumbbell episode is like, we see all these representations of men and women right? The, in terms of their bodies in this sort of like bulky giant way. And we see representations of women in these like tiny salad eating way, but there's not, there's no middle ground. We don't see representations of men and women going and lifting weight, going and lifting barbells, lifting heavy even, and then also going home and putting on their suit and going to work, right? (laughs) It's like, you're either in there because you're like hulking out or you're not in there. 
Right. Right. It's not for you is sort of the messaging. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of nuanced portrayal of the use of barbells not at out all. there in the world. Like the images really skew kind of all sort of in one way. Or if they are, like a lot of this stuff, and I love it, but a lot of the stuff that I see then on Instagram is like, check out this 70-year-old woman who's de- you know deadlifting twice her body weight. And I'm like, fucking that's awesome. I'm so glad. But like, it's always an, it's a sort of like... It's all about the algorithm. Like, well, of course they're showing you that. Well, no, but also like, I wish that wasn't the like, oh my God, look at this. Right. You know, I wish it was like, and here's 25 other people doing the exact same thing yeah. right next to her, you know? Yeah, mundane. I it's wish a, that sort, were, Yeah, exactly. So more, more quotidian. Not surprising. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So this is why we're doing this episode, because I want to get to the bottom of why women at Baseline might feel like barbell outsiders rather than barbell insiders by looking specifically at the story society has told us about who lifts barbells and why. And I think that we can get to the bottom of that story when we look specifically at competitive sports that utilize barbells. Again, I don't want to make sport the culprit, but I think it's really about the way the media is represented, who participates in those sports, and how the media is left out the variety of actually women and men sizes and age groups that have also participated in that sport. And then finally, another point that we've started making, I just want to further emphasize is that doing something competitively in general is very different from doing it for health and longevity purposes. And we're going to take a close look at the differences between being an elite athlete and what training might look like for that person versus doing something to build, say, bone density or increase muscle mass. Okay, so here are four reasons that I see the media portrayal of lifting barbells as it represents competitive strength sports like powerlifting and Olympic lifting. Here's four ways that I feel like they mislead us and make it seem like only young, large men lift barbells. Overwhelmingly, number one, the media has fixated on the competitive aspect of these activities, which has less to do with young male barbell athletes, but just really about how barbells are for competition. Mm -hmm. Barbells are for competition, and they kind of leave out all of the health and longevity benefits of lifting barbells that you can do in non-competitive ways. Most people, here's the deal, most people, and I would say the vast majority of women, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, are just not competitive barbell athletes. Mm -hmm. So why then is the story that's told that barbells are for competition sports? Number two, the media has fixated on male competitors and there is far fewer representations of female competitors so that the idea becomes in people's minds that people who lift weights are men, not women. Number three, the media fixates on the heavyweight male competitors rather than the competitors from the lighter weight classes. The idea becomes people who lift weights are extremely large muscular men and no other sizes of people or body types lift weights, which makes you wonder, chicken and egg style, do you have to be an extremely large muscular man to lift weights or does lifting weights basically turn you into a very large muscular Man, you know what this reminds me of? What? Especially when I was exclusively teaching yoga, people would say to me all the time, I can't do yoga. I'm not flexible. Oh my God. Totally great parallel. Right. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. From from large young men. Right. (laughs) 
Oh, is there a space that's not for you easily? <laughs> is there a space that is not the door not open for you? <laughs> I don't know what whose voice that was. <laughs> I don't either. I'm not even sure what I was saying. It's okay. I know where you're going with that, though. Yeah. Like, oh no, a sp- one the only space that exists probably in the world for which white males are not given an open door right. is maybe the flexibility space. That's hilarious. Number four, the media fixates on younger athletes rather than the older quote-unquote masters, which is what older athletes are often referred to. Nice. The older masters athletes. The idea becomes only young people lift weights. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to unpack these one by one, but Sarah, mm-hmm. what used to be your impression of lifting heavy barbells? And then when did you first learn about this activity as an activity people like you engaged in? So my kind of like movement background is that <laughs> some of it is influenced by the fact that I grew up in London in a relatively posh way, which meant that barbells were not part of that. I was raised, I was being raised to be a lovely young English rose of a lady, right? So, uh, good marriage material. That's right. Uh, and, but let's be fair as well. Uh, these are things that I gravitated towards naturally because I was pretty good at them. So I started doing ballet at age five, uh, and I did ballet as really my, my main form of I mean, not even form of exercise, just like activity. I loved it from like age five to about age 13. I also uh, rode horses because I was a proper young little British lady. Um, and so I did that for some, that similar amount of time. The ballet, I did longer. And then, you know, what's, I mean, what's really funny because, you know, God forbid there's an episode that goes by where I don't talk about motorcycles, but riding the motorcycle is very similar to riding a horse. I didn't, first of all, didn't know you rode horses as a child, but gosh, I love how it all fits into your like young English girl. <laughs> My rebellion is... Ballet, yeah. dancing, yeah. like now new persona that I have of you. But yeah, this connection yeah, cause riding that you're a, about to make yeah, is yeah. so cool. And actually, a lot of women who ride motorcycles also have a history of riding horses. Or, Amazing. Because it's there's so much similarity. You're holding on with your legs and you're trying not to do more than absolutely necessary with your hands because your hands are sending information to either the motorcycle or to the horse about what you want it to do. Mm. And if you're doing too much inputs, like too many different things, the motorcycle gets confused and so does the horse. <laughs> so so in terms of like, when was the first time I saw someone lifting barbells? I'm sure it was on TV in competition. It may have been some sort of Olympics or something like that. It was not something that I was surrounded by in any way growing up. My dad played golf. Mm, you know, mine too. My mom played tennis. So, so there wasn't, we, the gym was not a space that like my family was in. And then I was trying to think like, when was the first time I was really like, not just going into a gym and getting on a stair climber or a treadmill and then like lifting a five pound weight and doing some biceps curls and leaving when I was actually like, Oh, let me try to interact with some weights in a way. And so it was when it was after college, it was when I was living in New York and I went, I lived in Chelsea I mean, I think it still is at the time, but at the time it was a predominantly gay neighborhood. And I would go to this gym that I, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was something like Hammer or like, it was something, it was something very sort of like, you know, yeah. it, it was like muscles or something. So not like posh little English girl. No, not at all. <laughs> I think by that time the posh little English girl was like fully, fully gone. But so I would go to that gym because it was the closest one to where I lived. But what I also really liked about it was that there were very few, it was like, it was like a few women and then mostly gay male clientele. I don't, there weren't a lot of like straight men in there. And a lot of the, the 
men who were there were also were actually bodybuilders mm -hmm. i believe not weightlifters bodybuilders because i do specifically remember <laughs> i remember one time when i was there and and one there were several men sort of talking like seemed to be friends associates colleagues and they were kind of comparing the the little like speedo trunk mm -hmm. and like how effectively it showed off this muscle or that muscle like it was a very serious conversation around <laughs> like a tiny piece of clothing uh. so that i think that's a lot of the the men that were there but what i liked about it was because this was an overwhelmingly gay population none of them were looking at me mm -hmm. so i was free to faff around in the background and I was great. not being given unnecessary or unsolicited advice or being eyeballed or anything like that. It was a safe space. It was a totally safe space. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. I remember probably the first time I saw someone lifting barbells, like heavy barbells, was again on TV. And I'm pretty sure it was the Olympic Games. Mm. And I'm pretty sure it was powerlifting. And I just remember there were these huge men. I didn't remember, or maybe they weren't televised, like the women. And I, I'm sure they, women were powerlifting at that time because it was the mid 80s and by that time yes women were powerlifting but it was like huge tall just very big men in tight spandex overalls with a lot of chalk everywhere and they were definitely like really turning very red in the face and the barbells were just inhumanly huge like the bars were the, the bar on the barbell was bending a lot and i was like these are freakishly strong people mm -hmm. and i had i was like these are not people who are like me in any stretch of the imagination i had zero i did never even cross my mind that i would ever be lifting heavy barbells and by the way my bar bends now too Sarah. i was gonna tell you because i remember watching a video of you doing deadlifts bends. it bends like, and i was like dang girl yeah so it's kind of cool high five yeah so that then was when i was like you know, young, like maybe nine, 10 years old. I, I was a, uh, an athlete in high school, but the only athletes that were really ever invited into the gym until senior year, like something changed in the athletic program for women senior year, where finally the volleyball team was told that we're going into the weight room now and you are going to lift weights. So, okay. Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Was that something that like, it was whatever year it was, they decided that all students or was it that when once you reached the age once you became a senior then you were allowed in the weight room i think what happened and i'm not sure i think that my coach who had been my coach from freshman year on went to some type of coaching seminar and learned about strength training and learned about the importance of strength training. that's amazing and then she was like okay and she had to i'm pretty sure given like the politics of how sports were treated in my high school, which was that it was all about football, which is all about male football, right? right. The women didn't play American football. You were a cheerleader. And it's all about men's basketball. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else was just kind of like, whatever, a little bit. I mean, not according to me. I, lo I loved the sports that I played and I loved the teams that I was on. And it was like a really big deal and a really important part of my life. But in terms of how sports were treated at my high school, and I don't think this is at all unusual, it was all about the male sports, and it was all about basically basketball and 
American football. So we kind of had to like wrestle, not wrestle, <laughs> we kind of had to elbow the football players out of the way, but I don't think they were too mad to have us in there, honestly. Sure. Like, I think there's a lot of flirting going on. 100%. It was high school. Listen, you know. <laughs> when, the, when the school I went to turned full co-ed, nobody was complaining. Yeah, so we, we, we go into the weight room and I mean, we're, everyone is freaking making it up. Like, I don't even think the men's basketball coach knew anything about lifting weights. I mean, they're just lifting weights up and down. It's really, actually, it's not that hard. You know what I mean? Like, you really don't need an advanced degree to, to learn how to lift a weight. But we went in and we started lifting weights and that was my first time. And I'm, I, I'm a competitive person, so I immediately go over to the leg press machine. I'm like, let's get this fucker going. And so I remember actually lifting weights a number of, for a number of weeks and noting measurable increases to my muscle mass. Nice. And like, I liked it. I was like, damn, and I felt stronger. And I don't know how it translated to my performance on the volleyball court. But anyway, it was just an, a really interesting switch where suddenly... I was in the weight room mm -hmm. and that was my first taste of lifting weights and it was very it was a very positive experience. You've heard us talking a lot about our upcoming bone density program Lift for Longevity, which is a 6-month course of live weekly strength training classes along with bonus courses, Strength Training 101 and All About Osteoporosis, and a ton of other pre-recorded content showing you all the techniques that you want to review, any safety concerns, all of that good stuff. And the reason why we made the program six months long is because that is the point where you can actually see change taking place in bone density. So if we are training heavy, and attempting to improve our bone density, we need to do it for at least that long before we'll see any results. The big thing with our program, it is properly programmed, which means you start where you are. And we focus on technique in the beginning with moderate or maybe even lightweight on your barbell and eventually progress as appropriate for you to get you to the point where you are lifting heavy. Now, this is a barbell program, but if you don't yet have barbells, you can still do it. You can take the information and apply it to using dumbbells or kettlebells. But from our perspective, we believe ultimately that the barbell is a tool that is going to let you lift progressively for life. So we think it's actually the most economic choice uh, long-term. And this program, it's really just us helping you get started over a long course of time. You're going to get lots of learning around how to use weights, how to strength train, how to progressively overload, how to progress to heavy lifting, the best techniques for your barbells, because we want you to keep going. And we want to give you ways to continue to use our program so that it's not just you lift for six months and then you give up on it, but you learn how to lift for the rest of your life. You'll get a live class once a week, as well as demo videos of all the exercises. So you can choose if you want to take a class with us, like a yoga class, Pilates class style, or just watch the demo videos and do the workouts on your own. Other things to think about, the course is yours for life. You get it forever. There is no other guided, live, and recorded follow-along class six-month program out there. There's just not. We looked, people. We looked. This is the first year that we're doing this, which means next year the price is going to go up. 
Either way, this is way cheaper than working with a personal trainer. Not the same, of course, we acknowledge, but it's a lot more affordable if that's been a barrier for you. Now, here's the thing. The cart is closing soon on this. October 8th is the last day that you can sign up. And we really mean it because the course itself starts on October 14th. And we're going to give everybody who is enrolled enough time to preview some of the videos and watch any of the stuff they want to before we get started. So if you want to join us, and we really hope you do, it's going to be such a good time, you guys. I can't wait for it to start. You can go to the link in our show notes to sign up, or you can go to our website and click on Bone Density Program Lift for Longevity. All right, so let's let's talk about point number one. The media tends to fixate on competitive, the competitive aspect of lifting with barbells. So actually let's let's talk about what an athlete is. Mm -hmm. I think we we sort of had a real philosophical conversation about this in our very first episode of this podcast. Also a very popular episode. A very popular episode. And so we looked at the difference between sport, movement, and exercise. Not in that order, but anyway, I thought it was an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. So athlete gets, this word athlete gets used a lot. Um, we introduce our friend Roz the Diva, and she uses the word athlete very freely. Like basically, she's like, if you're breathing, if you're in a body, if you move your body ever doing anything, you are an athlete. And she is a very inspiring and uplifting and inspirational figure mm -hmm. who trains people in bigger bodies and people who are not white and thin and privileged and or whatever the, the sort of norm that you see represented as like being the people who lift weights, right? She's training folks who don't get very much media attention as lifting barbells and she's strong as hell. Personally, my relationship to the word athlete is such that you don't love it. Right? I used to be an athlete and then right. I, that's when I was an athlete. And now I, I consider an athlete somebody who does a sport for competitive purposes. And I currently do not consider myself to be doing any type of sport for competitive purposes. I'm really, I exercise, I strength train, I run for, for enjoyment, mm -hmm. first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I consider it fun and also for health and longevity. Sarah, what do you consider to be an athlete? Who is an athlete? So yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think from your perspective, having been a competitive athlete, in high school. In high, but, but still, you know, you you played against other teams, right? You yeah, entered competition sure. in some way. Then the, the name athlete for you is very much associated with competition. Mm -hmm. I think because, because the word athlete, like in CrossFit, they call everybody an athlete, yes, right? Like, yes. Like, and that's the thing that can kind of make your one ear end up in your shoulder or depending on how you feel about it. But what I, what I like about it that they do that, honestly, is that it's inclusive yeah. for the people who were not included in group sports in, in high school or in college. I like the idea that you are then being encouraged to think of yourself differently, right? So we, we develop these ideas of like who we are pretty early on. And some of that we're developing in high school and college, right? So if you, I never in high school would have thought of myself as an athlete because I wasn't on any team for any sporty thing, right? Ba dance, you know, nowadays people would call dancers athletes, but back then they weren't, even though it is a very, very physical thing to be doing, but it's not a competition, 
necessarily, right? Auditions are competitive, but like the act of dance itself is not a competitive thing. You're not, although that would be hilarious. There are dance-offs, actually. I take it back. Yeah, no, there are. I mean, the dan- there was a dance team sure. in my high school. Yeah. They were state champs. Went into competitions. They were very yes. competitive. But I mean, like, you know, the Swan Lake is not an active competition, you know? it's mm, Yeah. But anyway, so the idea of like, you are now allowed to think of yourself that way, because I also like it in, in the sense of you're kind of taking yourself more seriously, right? And you're taking your relationship to your body more seriously. And you might think, you know, oh, well, if I, if I can think of myself as an athlete now, well, maybe I'm going to pay better attention to how I sleep and how I eat and my whole lifestyle, because this is something that I do now. I think you're making excellent points, actually. Like it's, it's inclusive to call everyone an athlete and it specifically speaks to the people who are excluded. Yeah. I really like that point. And I also like the point that like athletes take their bodies and their, and their performance seriously. And in so doing, you're probably also helping yourself health-wise you a hundred percent you are yeah but here's the thing though is like no one's looking at elite athletes and going wow those people must be so healthy i mean maybe they are no but here's the thing (laughs) a lot of elite athletes are not that healthy because being an elite athlete means sacrificing non-insignificant aspects of your health on a regular basis they train harder then is probably healthy mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And, you know, when you get into like the sport of body lifting, there's food restriction, also powerlifting. I mean, any, any weight, any sport that has a weight requirement that you need to meet, there's going to be some maybe additional restriction on eating. Yep. So r- the wrestlers in my high school would be like wearing layers and layers of clothing running the halls, spitting into cans, not drinking all day and not eating in order to make weight. And there, and there's, you know, we could argue about what the long-term consequences of that are, and there might be none, but you know, it's getting a little eating disorder-y for me. And so I start to wonder about that. And then there's obviously a long history of steroid use and steroids are incredibly disastrous for human health. So I think that elite athletes are pretty much doing their sport for reasons that are not fully aligned with health and longevity. And so then when we're looking at media's representation of the use of something like a barbell and seeing elite athletic performance of different lifts of the barbell, we're looking at something that, you know, may have made these people a lot healthier than they would have been. But we're also looking at a person who has sacrificed a lot yeah, I mean, to be doing what they're doing. Competitive athletes in any field, I mean, I've worked with a few of them in the rehab setting. And across the board, they come in and I'm like, you have the weirdest, most effed up mechanics for doing this I've ever seen. But it seems to be working for you because you're, win- you're an Olympic medalist or something like that, you <laughs> yeah. know? So, yes, the, the goal is often is, you know, something like winning the Olympics, or it's maybe it's you're a football player. And it's like, well, I have to stay on the team because I get money for being on this team. And the second I don't, my family doesn't get this money. So is it okay that I injured myself? And then they just taped it up and I ran back out onto the field. Is that or that optimal I, for my health? Probably that I, no. Yeah, that or that I'm taking steroids or that I'm doing CT. Right. Yes. Oh my God. Well, that's um, a whole other thing. I'm like, I have dementia at age 40. Right. So none of it's, it's not, it, it, <laughs> Being an athlete doesn't mean isn't not doesn't automatically mean I'm really really putting my health first. <laughs> no, in a competitive sense. But thinking about yourself possibly 
as someone who could be athletic. And maybe that even means just like you're running a 10K or a 5K for the first time or, Mm -hmm. you know, then that is, I think in that sense, gives you the opportunity to flip and get, start to make healthier choices for yourself about your entire life. And it might even mean, I mean, one of the things that we talk about for women lifting weight is that it is a self-esteem booster. And maybe you start lifting weight and then you start saying no to a lot of like the toxic crap in your life. I did. Yeah, me too. The other thing about being an elite athlete is means you are probably training for hours almost every day. Meanwhile, people lifting for health and longevity goals can get away with training minutes every week. Like some research shows that you maybe only need to be lifting weights 30 to 60 minutes a week to reap most or all of the health and longevity benefits of strength training. And I think that like really high level competitive power lifters, for example, might be in the gym upwards of three hours a day, maybe one day off, you know, I don't know. I'm sure everyone's plan is different, but there's just a way different time requirement and energy requirement. And so that can also become really confusing because I think overwhelmingly people tend to think that they need to be lifting weights a lot more than they actually do to get the health and longevity benefits, maybe because what they're hearing, the stories they're hearing are really the stories of the athletes who are actually putting in a shitload of time in the gym. And they think that that's what they have to do too, even when their goals are not competitive. Well, and I think, you know, the recommended amount of times to exercise per week is something like has been, you know, two to three times. That's just talking about exercise generally. That's not talking about weight lifting. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I said weight lifting so weirdly like that. The CDC recommendation is one to two bouts of weight lifting per week. I think it's two. Is it two? Yeah, but they don't tell you really anything about how much. No, but like, let's just, I'm happy that it's on there at all because it never used to be. Yeah. Uh, But but so I think, I think we have this idea that the way you work out is you do it at least three, three times a week, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And if you're not doing that, you might as well not waste your time doing anything. But yeah. that's unequivocally not true. Yeah. And that's, that's like a lot less than what a, a competitive athlete would be training. Right. right? Like, yeah. Like half. Right. Like they'd be in there six days a week, probably. Yeah. The other thing about being a higher level competitive athlete, or even someone that's just more experienced as something, is that there's some evidence to suggest that the injury, that, that, that your risk of injury is actually going to go up. Like your risk of injury as a competitive, especially an elite competitive athlete, is higher than it is if you're a recreational athlete. Your risk of injury, there's some research looking at CrossFitters, for example. And they compared novice versus experienced CrossFitters and found that actually the more experienced CrossFitters counterintuitively had higher injury rates than the beginners. And this is probably because when you have more buy-in, you've been doing it longer, you decide that this is something you really enjoy. Maybe it starts to become a part of your identity. You start to train a little bit more seriously, maybe at a higher intensity, more aggressively, to con- and you, to a certain extent, you kind of have to to continue to make changes, and this is where the room for error maybe gets a little narrower, where it does become a little bit more likely that you are going to sustain an injury. This all to say that CrossFit's actually been shown to be very safe <laughs> well, and here's, here's <laughs> for what, everyone. Yeah. But if you're more experienced, you're actually, ironically, you'd think you'd be less injury prone, but you might actually have a higher risk of injury. But here's what I wonder about that, because... Mm-hmm. It might, I mean, do you, I'm wondering if what it actually has more to do with is the amount of time you're spending doing CrossFit. 
And not recovering. Well, yeah, but also like if you if you if you drive a car ten minutes a week, you're probably way less likely to get in a car accident than if you drive a car. <laughs> That's a very good five point. hours a week. Yep. Right. Totally. So there's got to be some component of that where it's like they're just doing more of it, and the the, the you know. But the difference, though, is also that if you start off doing CrossFit once a week, your body gets used to that and it becomes able to adapt and positively, you know, change from that input such that you're now able to do it twice a week, such that then you're soon able to do it three times a week. So the idea is that, like, yes, you're in the gym, you're doing more CrossFit, but presumably because your body has positively adapted to be able to handle more CrossFit. And if you are going to adapt it to be able to handle more, you have to do more, right? That's how progressive overload works. But I know what you're saying though, is like you're just in there more. So there's, there's, it's more likely shit's going to happen. Right. Like maybe you totally true. Had a bad night's sleep and you trip over something and you twist your ankle, Oh, you know, like that kind of stupid thing. No, absolutely. 100%. And then also there's this idea that and we talked about this in our episode last season about relative injury versus safety in strength training and yoga and noted that strength training using a, using weights to get stronger is a very safe thing to do. It's incredibly safe thing to do, much safer than field sports. But there's also this idea that lifting with barbells is dangerous. And I wonder how much of that is wrapped up in the story told about competitive barbell athletes getting hurt for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, because Mm -hmm. those are the stories being told. I I just wonder, do you know what I mean? Like, do we hear more about injury with strength training because we're hearing more about athletes who strength train? I don't know. I, I actually don't, I'm kind of making that up with my inside of my imagination, like trying to draw connections here that I don't know are actually true. But it, it doesn't seem unlikely that that could be the case. Yeah. I mean, you know, plenty of soccer players have real bad injuries. And if you don't believe that, just go on YouTube and Google soccer injuries and then prepare to try to scour out the inside of your brain after you've seen all of them, images you can no longer unsee. Yeah. And you know what? I don't hear people talking all that much about how dangerous soccer is. So isn't that strange? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sir, field sports are certainly more dangerous than strength, strength sports. And this is definitely borne out. In, in the research. All right. And then also, uh, beside being incredibly safe when comparing the dangers of chronic disease mm-hmm. from not exercising enough, we've, we see that doing field sports and strength training are, are incredibly good ideas to avoid stuff like cardiovascular disease, cancer, and of course, osteoporosis. So there's a lot to gain by lifting weights and actually not a whole lot to lose, especially if you're doing it for just the purpose of, we could say recreationally, right? For the purpose of increasing your health and longevity. All right, so we've been parsing out lifting competitively with lifting for health and longevity so that we can understand how lifting barbells has become an us versus them activity. Athletes do it, people who don't consider themselves athletes or who have no desire to compete, don't do it. I don't think many older women lift barbells and I don't even think they can visualize themselves lifting barbells. And I think this is, one of the reasons, but I think there are more. I want to understand where this outsider mentality comes from. So here's the second reason I think we might have a small number of women lifting barbells. The media has fixated on male competitors, and it's rarely fixated on female competitors. So the idea becomes that the people who lift weights are men, not women, mm-hmm. especially especially barbells. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that the media focuses more on male sports than female sports, Sarah? Why do I think that? Yeah. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a patriarchy. <laughs> the end. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I think it's also objectively the case. And I'm not going to play devil's advocate because I agree with you. Thanks. But I'm going to say that men are objectively stronger and faster than women. Mm-hmm. And I've heard men in my life who I love. Like, I, I'm not mad at them. And they say things that, I, you know, I don't agree with all the time. But I've heard them say that they just like watching men play basketball more than women. Right. Because the things men do on a basketball court are, they have a wow factor to them that they don't get as much with women. However, I've also heard that it depends on the sport. Yes. So, for example... Tennis. Yeah, I won't name names because I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but one man in my life who mm. I love told me that he would prefer to watch women play volleyball because there's something about the way women play volleyball that is just more entertaining. Okay, no, look, it doesn't have to do with the fact that I was a volleyball player. Like, we're speaking in terms of, like... Oh, I wasn't even thinking oh, about that. Oh, what were you thinking? What does this look? I was thinking about beach volleyball and the teeny tiny little no, outfits. No, he, he he doesn't watch beach volleyball. All right. It's, we're talking about court, the court sport. Okay. There's something about the flow of the game that he thinks is a lot more is a lot more fun to watch. It's probably okay. the fact that women aren't hitting the ball as hard mm-hmm. to the other side. So there's going to be more volleying right. and more returning the men. They get up there and they just slam it down so hard. No one can return it. It's like watching, it's like watching, I can't, I don't even tennis. know, baseball. No, it's a lot like watching tennis. It's like tennis. watching baseball as well, where the pitcher is throwing the ball so fast that the, the batter can't even hit the ball. And that's not fun to watch. I'd, I'd much rather watch softball, mm-hmm. like high school softball. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. Tennis is like that. Men's tennis, they're just hitting incredibly hard serves over and over again a lot of the time. In the women's game, you get more volley. You get more game to watch. It's more entertaining to watch. Right. So it depends on the sport, but I think one of the reasons that male sports are represented more in the media, there's more male sports on TV than female sports, they get more coverage, but also there's like so much more research on men and specifically male college athletes is that there's a lot of money in male sports. Oh, yeah. For whatever reason. And the reasons are probably multifactorial. However, I feel like maybe if the media focused more on female athletes specifically if the media would focus more on female strength athletes because that's kind of what we're talking about today i think this would have a really positive effect on the way all women even the ones who have no desire to compete which is me i don't maybe i'm wrong okay i'm often wrong about what i'm going to be doing with my life in the future i have no idea that i would be lifting barbells or recording a podcast maybe someday i'll do a strength competition i kind of doubt it but i feel like more women even if they were like me and really had no desire currently to be a strength athlete, would at least see themselves lifting the tools of strength training like a barbell. I don't know that any of us have the power to control what the media highlights for us and puts in front of us. I just know that if we at least understand why we might not visualize ourselves lifting barbells and how it might have to do with the images and the stories and the ideas that we've been fed by the media, we might be better critical thinkers when we are presented with the opportunity to do something like lift weights for strength training and go, you know what, maybe I, maybe I am the type of person that could do something like that, right? Maybe the story I've been told is not the whole story. Right, yeah. Number three, the media fixates on the heavy weight male competitors rather than the competitors from the lighter weight classes. So this is, again, kind of, I think, at the heart of where this idea that lifting barbells will make you massive. The media wants, of course they do, the most sensational story a lot of the time. So instead of being amazing that a lightweight lifter or a lightweight female lifter or a lightweight older female lifter 
lifts three or four times their body weight, it's actually more sensational that the heavy weight pulls a 1,000 pound deadlift. It just is, according to the masses. Well, it looks dramatic. It looks really freaking dramatic, like almost freakish, right? You would say. I really like it when I see like small older women like pulling a 300 pound deadlift personally a lot more. Totally. Anyway, that's, I'm, I'm not like everyone else. I think I've also learned about myself. So <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that the number on the bar gets focused on rather than the relative strength, considering like the gender, the size and the age of the person lifting. Also what gets conflated is strength with hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. Hypertrophy is muscle size. And yes, lifting weights will increase muscle size, but volume actually, not magnitude of load, volume is the bigger driver of hypertrophy. You can get bigger muscles by lifting light weights Mm. as long as you take your sets close enough to failure and as long as you are meeting the minimal um, effective dose or reaching that minimal threshold that you need to reach every week in terms of volume, you're, you're doing enough sets mm-hmm. close to failure mm-hmm. of a particular lift that works a particular muscle group. Bodybuilding is about hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. It's a hypertrophy competition. Right. Powerlifting, yeah, powerlifters got muscle because muscle is really important for strength, but powerlifting is much more about getting as strong as possible. If you are neither, you're just trying to get stronger so that your bones get stronger, so that you don't lose muscle, so that you have better balance, and so your tendon stiffness improves and you're less at risk of injury, you could take a moderate to heavy weight and achieve that in about 30 to 90 minutes a week. Now, if you're really trying to build bone and you're older, it's probably a good idea to work toward a more heavy weight and that's where the barbell becomes of great interest. But if you're lifting heavy, and here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize, and it's really, I think, an important thing to realize. Because here's the deal. Lots of women don't want to get big. Right. They don't want to have a whole bunch of muscle on their body. And, and the reason for that is probably that they're afraid that if they do start to look different than they currently look, society will stop stop rewarding them right. well, as women for looking like quote unquote women or being smaller, being thinner, leaner, longer and leaner, right. however you want to say it. Specifically though, that is people who are concerned about the male gaze, which is typically straight women. Yeah. And because we live in a patriarchy though, men are in positions of power. Men are making a lot of decisions for everyone. 100%. And so it kind of, it makes sense to me why some women are afraid of putting muscle on their body because this has to do with the fact that we're tribal animals and the way that we fit into our groups and the roles that we play largely impact how well we will survive, right? right. So everyone's got a role to play and they want to play it well. And so if women think that putting muscle on their body is going to make it so that they can't play that role right. and can't be successful, that's a threat to their survival. 100%. I mean, the other thing is whether we think of it, I mean, I think the the bigger issue for a lot of women is that it's not something, it, it's so, it's an inside job. They're not necessarily walking around thinking like, I want to be thinner because that's what the male gaze is telling me. They're just thinking, I want to be thinner because that's what I want. Right. Right. And, you know, I think about things like, I don't know why this is what came to mind, but maybe it's because it's sort of famous. I think about like the Victoria's Secret show when all the women, like tall, skinny women are walking around in underwear, like how fucking cool would it be if you got some bodybuilders in there <laughs> or some 
middle-aged, re regular-looking people in there mm -hmm. or something, you and, know? And the fashion industry has started to do it that. It has started to do, it has started to do it more with like plus-size models and things like that. Yeah. You're not getting a lot of, I mean, they're, they're... Yes, of course. This is a separate episode. These are plus-size, beautiful people, <laughs> you know? These are not like just random everybody on the street kind of folks. They're still idolizing beauty. But, you know, the, the messaging for women so much is about be smaller, be thinner, don't take up space don't you know just know your place kind of thing right but can i tell you something tell me that a lot of people don't realize what's that is that when you lift heavy you're probably going to do less total volume in a week right which means that you're probably not going to build muscle as successfully as you would if you were to lift a moderate weight you're still going to build muscle but if you want to bulk up or if you even have a chance in hell of being able to do that right you should probably actually pick up a moderate weight and go really close to failure and do that for a lot. Five, upwards of five to seven sets a week. And then, you know what, that would probably be the best way to do that. If you're trying to get strong as fuck, which means you're going to make your bones as strong as possible, make your tendon as strong as possible, get really good balance, you're going to have to do less volume because volume's relationship to load is an inverse one. The heavier the weight, the fewer the reps, the longer the rest times. There's just not enough time in the workout to complete as many repetitions. This means that your muscles are not subjected to as much time under tension. And this is why volume is the key driver in hypertrophy because hypertrophy depends on mechanical tension. The muscle fibers generate mechanical tension that then sort of sends the muscle fiber a message that it needs to make itself bigger to be able to generate more and experience more and handle more mechanical tension. Strength relies on hypertrophy, but strength is the outcome of multiple adaptations in the body. And the, I would say the, probably the big, most important adaptation that takes place in our body with strength training is called neural drive. It's the ability of our brain to send bigger signals. Now, hypertrophy also relies on neural drive, but like I said, you can make your muscles bigger with light weights, as long as you take those sets close to failure, you are not going to do as good of a job of increasing your total maximum force production with light weights, though. You are going to do a much, 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 much better job of doing that by lifting heavy weights. And so it doesn't need to get complicated, but know this. If you're lifting heavy weight, truly heavy weight, which is dependent on you, it's not a number, it's not a fixed number. It means that you are lifting a weight that is heavy so that you couldn't probably lift it more than six times. And if you're lifting a weight that, that's that, that is that heavy, you're doing a three to five sets of that lift in a workout. You're lifting that weight six times per set. You're probably resting at least two minutes per set. You're doing that for maybe a couple of exercises, right? And then maybe a couple of other exercises you're doing a more moderate or even lightweight, right? you're probably not going to get in the amount of volume that you would need to get in to make the biggest possible change to muscle size. So I just wanna say that like, if your goal is not to get a whole bunch of muscle on your body, first of all, I think it's a good idea to build muscle and we'll talk about that in a second. But if like your goal is not to get a bunch of muscle on your body, but rather just to get super, super strong, then absolutely 100% lifting a heavy weight is the way to go. You're better off lifting a heavy weight than you are lifting a moderate and certainly a lightweight. Can I tell a story about my patient at the clinic? Yep. So uh, I started working with someone recently and, you know, I, I, I is not across the board, but 
often, one of the things I'm thinking about in my head for my patients and in particular for my female patients is when do I get to have the conversation about lifting heavy with them? (laughs) It's kind of always percolating in the back of my head. For some people, it never happens for various reasons. But for a lot of women, I at least try to sprinkle in the education around why lifting heavy is important. So I have this client who's not new to the clinic, but new to me. And I really, really like her. Mm-hmm. And she's one of those people, you know, sometimes when like you really want to, like there's certain people that you want to like have them like you, mm-hmm. like some clients, I don't care if they like me or not. <laughs> some clients we like hit it off immediately. We're like besties. And then, so there's some people where I'm like, I, this person is a, like cards close to the chest. I have no idea if this person like thinks I'm good at my job, likes me, is enjoying this. Like sometimes they just give you nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And there's something about that that for me is like catnip. I'm like, oh, make this person like me in some way. I'll be funny. Oh, they didn't like that. I'll be serious. Oh, they didn't like that. Uh." And so so I wasn't sure how much I was. And this this is, again, for some context, this is actually a sort of somewhat famous person. And a lot of the time people who are in that realm, like, They've worked with a lot of different people. They're sort of, they're used to a certain amount of, like there's just kind of a like, don't waste my time energy. Of course, they're busy. They're busy people. So I, you know, one of her goals are just about getting, she wants to get stronger. She wants to feel stronger in her body. She had surgery a few months ago and she doesn't feel as strong as she used to. She's approaching 60. So we've been doing some work and I, the not the the second to last session that I saw her, I said, you know, one of the things that's going to make you stronger really quickly is lifting heavy weights like barbells. And she looked at me, <laughs> right, with this it's a very intense gaze, and she goes, "Why should I do that?" And I was like, "Oh boy, here we go. This is it. This is my moment." And I looked at her and I said, "For your bones." And she had a moment <laughs> where she was like, not dumbstruck. But she was not expecting me to say for your bones. Yeah, most right? people at aren't. all. No one's thinking about their bones. Won't anyone think of the bones? <laughs> so then the next time she came back in, she goes, you know, I was, I've really been thinking about what you said. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm almost, I'm getting closer to 60. You know, I should probably get one of those scans, you know, and, but she was like, I never, I really thought about it. And it was like, that's not something that I'm considering, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that is all the, all I was doing was paving the way for me to make my own life easier because the next time I see her, I'm pulling out our technique bar and I'm going to make her learn that deadlift with a 15 pound barbell. Cause that's how I start all of the people I see in the clinic. And then Mm -hmm. they all progress and it's fantastic. But this idea that lifting heavy equals lifting a thousand pounds is just not true. And that the idea that there is no space in between is not true. And that, you know, I, I, there's not one person that I've introduced the barbell in the clinic who's been like, eh, not for me. Like across the yeah. board. I have one patient who now has built her own whole thing at home. That's amazing. You know? The thing about the barbell, it's so simple. It's so simple. It's That's... not like a kettlebell. I've had tons of people be like, nah, kettlebell, not for me. That freaking thing They're is con- hard to learn to use. The barbell is never at any point hard to learn to use. It's hard to figure out how to progressively overload if you don't know about strength training and you need somebody to actually create a program for you. But as an implement, the barbell is so simple. And I've said that to so many people and they've sort of, you know, believed me or not believed me. And then they try it and they're like, oh, this is simple. Yeah, because they've been seeing a lot of high level athletes doing things that they, you know, that they would never be able to do, nor are they, do they want to do it? The way that it's represented is so inaccessible. Right. 
I have someone who I've worked with who in one of our sessions one-on-one, it was early on, she said, you know, I'm 60 and I want to get stronger, but I don't want to put on too much muscle. And she's a very small woman. Mm. And I said, you know what? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lecture her at all. And I like listened to her and we had a long conversation before this even came up. But then I kind of circled around toward the end and I was like, cause she, I, I felt like we had a, we had established trust and we were having a really like nice conversation. And I said, you know what? You want my opinion? She's paying me for my opinion. She's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I was like, I think you should try to build as much muscle as possible going forward. I said, you are not you're just not going to get bulky. Like, is is that going to happen? And also the thing too is like, we can take a step back and go like, if someone can't do a single push-up, if someone has never held a weight and done a squat, do they need to be thinking about getting too bulky? Like, what is required to get bulky, Sarah? Oh, well, a couple of things. First of all, the, the amount of work that lifting that you need to be doing is <laughs> a lot more than you ever would do as a beginner or even as a non-beginner, potentially. You have to eat. A lot. a lot. And that's the other part. We haven't spoken about this really, but mm-hmm. like to put mass on, you've got to give your body like the building blocks to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to be in an energy surplus. Yeah. Like, which, you know, I remember hearing, <laughs> you know, when all the movie stars like, you know, bul- like get bulky for their roles and then they mm-hmm. go on talk shows and talk about how they did it. Yeah. And it sounds miserable. Right. They're just shoving food into their face all the time. All the time. I remember Hugh Jackman telling a story of like setting an alarm for 2 a.m. So he would wake up and eat like a chicken breast sitting next to his bedside table and then go back to sleep because he had to always be eating cal, like always yeah. be calories. And it's always be protein calories. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> And so it's not like fun eating. It's not like pizza and ice cream. It's like plain chicken. Lots of protein. Lots of protein. And for women, you know, we do not possess the amount of testosterone in our systems that men do. And as a result, we are not as prone to building as much bulk on our body. It's not to say you can't build big muscles as a woman, just that you would have to be doing some number of these things that it's highly unlikely that's where you at least are starting. You may decide that's something you're interested in, in doing. Yeah, but absolutely. More power to you. Yeah, but as a beginner, the, it just, it's just not happening. Yeah, absolutely. Let's not put the cart before the horse. Yeah, let's put the horse before the horse. No, <laughs> the horse before horse. Let's put the horse in front of the cart. In front of the cart. Where is, what about the carrot? Where does the carrot go? Oh, that's a donkey in and a carrot. The horse. So it goes carrot, horse, cart. That's right. What's after the cart? Poop? Uh, probably a lot of mm-hmm. it, yeah. All right, so to summarize, if your goal is to get stronger, but not necessarily much bigger, ironically, despite what conventional wisdom might have you believe, lifting heavy weights might be the better way to strike that balance. At the same time, I will say, if you are approaching menopause, postmenopausal, perimenopausal, and you're a woman, you might want to reconsider not wanting to put muscle on your body because the rate of muscle loss has accelerated, whether you realize it or not, And you're going to want to have some savings in the bank, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Another thing I'll say too, and this relates back to the fact that when we see people lifting barbells, oftentimes they are competitive athletes. One of the things, one of the biggest determinants of how much muscle you're actually going to be able to put on your body is genetics. Mm. And the reason that a lot of the really super gifted female power lifters have so much muscle on their body is because they're genetically advantaged in this particular sport. Predisposed. This is why they're so freaking good at powerlifting is because they can build muscle and that muscle is what allows them to lift that heavy weight. They also put in a lot more hours and their goals are totally different. So, all right. And then this one, 
is related to the differences between men and women, but also the differences between like different sized people. The media tends to fixate on heavy weight lifters, usually the men, mm -hmm. and it doesn't tend to feature the lighter weight men or women lifters. So the idea then, again, related to what we just discussed is that lifting barbells is gonna make you massive. And then our last and final point, the media fixates on younger athletes rather than older athletes. And the idea becomes only young people lift barbells. Mm -hmm. I think that this sends two messages. One, that barbells are a young person's tool. And two, that older people are too frail or fragile to lift barbells. Sarah, you focused on this in your episode in season one or two, Stop Fragilifying Older People. Yeah, it was in season one. About how there's just a really ageist tendency to take everything that could possibly help make somebody who's older in age stronger, build their capacity, make them more capable to live independently and just kind of want to take it away from them. Yeah. I mean, it goes across the board. It's, it's, it's from the rehab world all the way into just how we treat older people generally. Right. And I see a lot of older women in particular in the rehab setting, not being pushed enough. And I in fact had a patient a while ago who became my patient because they had been going to PT somewhere else and they were actually getting weaker mm -hmm. at the other place because the person never handed them anything bigger than the five pound dumbbell. But also it is, you know, I, 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 there's a patient I'm working with currently who really needs to get a lot stronger and I adore her. She's super ornery. She comes in the door and the first thing she says is something like, I'm tired. And I used to, when I first met her, I'd be like, oh, she's tired. And now I'm like, all right, well, let's get on the bike and warm up. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I basically ignore her. Um, and then I'll be like, let's do another set. And she'll be like, I don't see you doing anything. And so it's very funny, right? I, it's very entertaining. But so the person who drives her to the clinic and back, I had to, was going to, there was something, there was something my patient was doing. I think they were, they were going to, you know, put, sit down and put their shoes on or something. They were done. And the person who was like helping them started to like move the chair or move the shoes or do something to help them. And I said, don't help her, which sounds like really mean uh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But, but the person was kind of like, oh, and then she realized she was like, oh yeah, cause we're trying to make her more resilient. It doesn't yeah. make her more resilient if I move the chair to her, right? I got she got to back up to that chair, right? you know? So really across the board, it's something that we do societally is that we make things too, uh, we're concerned that older people are going to hurt themselves, and so we just take any sort of effort away from them. I mean, my 97-year-old landlord who lives upstairs and who's been stomping around in his shoes, God bless him, I love him, but he goes up and down a flight of stairs every day to open the back door, and while the stairs themselves make me slightly nervous because they are wooden and slick, and I've tried to get like some carpet on them, and he doesn't, he doesn't like that idea, but anyway... He's 97 and he's climbing a flight of stairs every day. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying don't do the stairs. I'm just saying the stairs themselves, maybe we could make them a little less slippery. Right, <laughs> but... right, right. Yeah, you know, I think the question is like, is, is it that older people are portrayed as fragile because they are, because they tend to be deconditioned, because we tend to want to protect them slash do everything for them so that they can slow down or whatever? Mm -hmm. Or are they just, is that just, the the fate of getting old like or do you just like no matter what you do with your body just get f more fragile and more frail as you age and i i think of course the aging process is real you're definitely not going to be as strong as you were when you're 90 as you were when you were 40 but you can build a crap load of strength 
a crap load of muscle, you can get faster, you can get more coordinated and improve your balance at any age relative to when you were younger. And I am living proof. I'm 42. I am way stronger than I've ever been in my entire life by far. Me too. I'm 48. I'm way stronger than I was at 30. And I plan to be stronger than I am now when I'm 50. Yeah, 100%. And that's something else that I see with with patient, my older patients a lot of the time is they they're, they will marvel at the fact they're like, well, I sort of thought that I could help my pain, but I didn't think I could actually like get stronger than I am, like actually improve my athletic ability. Hmm. But they are. There's a lot of misunderstanding around what happens to women around menopause. Yeah. Like, Everyone sort of just thinks like, this is it. This is the end. Now I get weak. Now I get frail. Now I stop enjoying my life. Now I gain weight. Mm -hmm. I mean, specifically that one. There's this idea that our metabolism slows down when we hit menopause, which has been shown to just actually not be true. It may be true that women gain weight around menopause, but that has maybe something to do with the fact that like when two things happen kind of around the same time, we, we consider that there, there's, we, we, we assume there must be a relationship between them. Sarah, can you say anything about this idea that, that metabolism slows down around menopause? Like where does that idea come yeah. from? Is it true? Does research, research bear that out? I haven't read the research on it, so I'm going I'm off. I'm going to link something in the show notes. We talk about this with my episode with Dr. Ben House mm-hmm. in season two. Briefly, Not we don't spend a ton of time talking about it. I think we could talk about it more. There's a great article in the New York Times that basically goes into how it's just actually not true that yeah. your metabolism slows down around menopause. If it so, slows down, it slows down slightly around age 60, which is well after menopause. For most women, yeah. yeah. So what tends, you know, a lot of women mention how they hit menopause and then suddenly they gain 10 pounds or they get soft around the middle or they, they, there's, you know, whatever. And so it's, it's blamed on things like the changing hormones and all of that kind of stuff. But there's also a bunch of other things that are often happening for women around that time. Like their children are going to college. Mm -hmm. They, you know, for some women, it's a time that they might be starting to work less and maybe do more recreational things or or conversely you know women in their for example their late 40s early 50s might actually be working more because they've achieved a level in their career where they're now in charge of things Mm -hmm. maybe they're the boss now or maybe they're the ceo or maybe they are just in charge of more people and therefore there's more responsibility and therefore they're working more there's any number of of reasons why women might gain weight yeah. around the time of perimenopause and menopause. But what's not happening is your your metabolism is not slowing down in any way, shape, or form. And if it does slow down, it slows down around the age of 60 and only slightly. Yeah. I mean, you know, N equals one. My personal experience of going through menopause in a very accelerated way over the past year is that not only have I not gained weight, and it also, I can't say if it's about menopause or not, because I also started lifting weights really significantly I somehow seem to have lost some weight. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I can't quite tell what's going on, but but you know, I would think like, you know, all of my other symptoms of menopause are intense and accelerated. I would assume that if weight gain was one, <laughs> that would have also happened in an intense and accelerated way and it just hasn't. Yeah, and so I think sometimes too like people think that their their window of opportunity for starting something like strength training or lifting with barbells especially is kind of closing as they approach menopause, or especially if they're postmenopausal, like it's too late for me, right? But we've discussed this and, and it's 
you know, evident if you do follow accounts on, on Instagram that are platforming older women lifting heavy weight that you can become stronger at any age, you can build muscle at any age, you can increase your skill of movement and your capacity at any age. Therefore, it is never too late to start. In the words of Luther Vandross. Oh, wow. It's never too late. It's never too late. Now, unfortunately, though, when women are older, Mm -hmm. stuff like standing up from a chair becomes more and more challenging. Like in a nursing home, that is one of the things that is focused on basically, which is that can we get this person to be able to stand up out of their chair so that they don't then sit down and never stand up again. Mm -hmm. And so standing up from the chair becomes like this one repetition, like max effort event. Do you think we'd be having this discussion if, well, I'm sure we would in some cases, but would, would, would the, the, the like movement goal of being able to stand up one time out of a chair become a single max effort event for most people in assisted living or nursing homes or even just after menopause? Would that even be a concern if someone could, say, easily squat half their body weight? Like if they were lifting with barbells and progressed up into the point to where they could squat half their body weight, all of their body weight, somewhere in there that they could squat an external load heavy, would we having this conversation about their ability to stand up from a chair? No, not at all. Yeah. So what happens is like people stop living before they die mm-hmm. because they lose access to their ability to move. And I say that very, you know, metaphorically, they're still living, but they stop being able to live in the world and do the things that they were doing that gave their life meaning because they can't get up from a chair. You don't have to have that be the case. No. And eventually it will, right? We're all dying. We're all going to die but you could prolong your ability to live in the world and do the things that give your life meaning. Why would we, and why should we relinquish that access through inaction when we know very clearly that there's something we can do to prevent it and it's relatively low cost and it is available to everyone at any age despite what you may have gleaned from the media. Why not preserve that for as long as possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, it's this this thing of like, oh, you're older, you should sit down now, take a break, take a rest, don't work so hard. And and I think the reality is actually the exact opposite. You've gotten older, work harder, don't rest as much, don't sit down as much, stand up and walk around, go garden, go for a walk listening to your book, go to a social dance club, get your body moving more, because that's what it needs. Amen. All right. Well, I think we can wrap this episode up. As a review, synopsis, summary, as a short way to say what we just said, despite how the media portrays lifting barbells, they are just tools. Yep. In this case, very effective ones for getting very strong. And older women, ironically, in my opinion, have much, much, much more to gain from the habit of lifting them than their younger male counterparts, their younger large male counterparts, who tend to be spotlighted and platformed predominantly in the media. A hundred percent. For this reason, I think it's crucial we critically examine the associations that we may be making with lifting barbells, especially for women. If we understand these negative associations better, or at least if we understand why we consider ourselves outsiders to using barbells, they may have less power to influence our behavior or our choice to not pursue strength training. And they'll have less power to prevent 
women from doing the thing that could be very good for their health and longevity that might extend their life and extend the meaning they're able to make with their life, but maybe most importantly, that could give them access to that more quality living and the self-confidence that comes with that. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that it's helped you understand that barbells are not just for competition, they're not just for men, they're not just for large people, and they're not just for young people. Inside of the Venn diagram of lifting heavy barbells is this very tiny circle called powerlifting or weightlifting or Olympic weightlifting, and I hope you understand that it's very tiny despite what the media shows you. I'm not disrespecting the sport itself. I think it's a great sport. I just think that we need to understand that it's a smaller topic than the one of barbells, strength training in general, and health and longevity. Hopefully you're able to spot some of these loose associations, root them in the context of some of what we've discussed today, and think critically for yourself so you can make the best possible decision for yourself and the actions that you could take to preserve your capacity and age in a way that allows you to stay involved in the meaning of your life, in the movement meaning of your life. Check out our show notes for links to references we mentioned in this podcast. Visit the Movement Logic website where you can get on our mailing list. You can also do that in the show notes as well to learn more about what's on offer, including cart closing soon. Four more days. Yeah, this is it. It's going away. We'll do it again, but it's going to be next year. You're going to have to wait. It's going to be more expensive. It's our barbell course. It's called Bone Density Course Lift for Longevity. We've been talking about it all season. Link in show notes to sign up for that. And thank you so much for joining us. Finally, it helps us out a ton. If you like this episode, you want to support Sarah and I work on this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And do that wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. See See you next week. week.